This week on a lively experiment, mixed messaging from the CDC about masking indoors. How will it affect Rhode Islanders? And a bizarre encounter between two of the state's top elected officials over the Providence Teachers Union contract. A lively experiment is generously underwritten by for more than 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazenwhite Jr., and I'm proud to support this great program in Rhode Island PBS. Joining us on the panel, Ian Donis, political reporter for The Public's Radio. Pablo Rodriguez, retired professor at Brown University's Warren Alpert Medical School. And former state representative, Doreen Costa. Hello and welcome to this week's Lively. I'm Jim Hummel. Mayor Alorza confronted Governor McKee Wednesday night as Providence teachers are poised to vote on a contract this weekend. We'll have details on their exchange and the agreement a little later. But first, the Centers for Disease Control did an about face on its recommendation for vaccinated people, saying they should go back to wearing masks in higher risk places indoors. Rhode Island happens to be one of them, all because of the proliferation of the Delta variant. Doctor, a lot of places to begin uh, here. Let's start in Rhode Island. And you speak, obviously, with authority here. You're on two committees looking at this. So talk about the numbers a little bit. So uh, the rate of infection, uh, which is measured by 100,000 people in the state is about 76.3%, which is considered substantial. Between 50 and 100 is considered substantial. So after 100, it's severe. So we are uh, four times the level that it was about a month ago. At so the same time, the hospitalizations are right around low 30s now, a little up, but not overwhelming the system. That is correct. And those are lagging indicators. So as the infection rate goes up, then the hospitalizations a couple of weeks later will go up, and then the deaths go up um, two weeks later. So it, it, it is a real problem uh, for the CDC messaging. Uh, to, to be changing, you know, back and forth. And I think that that has been the problem nationally. Um, if we had kept the mandate for indoors, uh, it would be much less controversial right now. Now people are used to not wearing the mask again, and it's going to be very, very controversial for them to be able to enforce it. During. Yeah, I'm not quite sure the CDC knows exactly what to do with um, this COVID-19, the coronavirus. They're, they're kind of talking, out, you know, out both ears, whatever. But what they're saying is get vaccinated, get vaccinated. You don't have to wear a mask. You're going to protect yourself. You're going to protect the unvaccinated. You and I have had off-camera conversations about me getting a vac vaccine. I was one of the last ones in my circle to get the vaccine. I did it. I did it because I thought it was the right thing to do at that point, and I wanted to protect myself and my family. And it's because it's what the CDD CDC told us what to do. And now all of a sudden... You know, I'm back, I'm fully vaccinated, and I might possibly have to wear a mask. How is, you know, I'm fully vaccinated. I should not have to be out there with a mask on anymore, especially in work environments, especially going to the drugstore or going to Stop and Shop or Davis Marketplace. I should not have to wear a mask. The unvaccinated right now should have to wear the mask. 
We don't know how the situation is going to change in the months ahead. At minimum, it's concerning that the situation is deteriorating somewhat when it's summertime and more of us are outside. It's not uh, difficult to imagine it'll be more complicated in the fall when things get colder and we're more confined to indoor spaces. Uh, Governor McKee this week uh, sounded the message about the need for vaccination. He said about 20 percent of the state's eligible population has yet to be vaccinated. And he pointed out how most of those people in the hospital, uh, 18 of 22 from numbers earlier this week, are people who are unvaccinated. So it seems like the, the best emphasis is on trying to convince people who have not yet gotten the vaccine to, to get vaccinated. Isn't the concern from a PR standpoint, and a lot of this is public relations and public education, that to the unvaccinated, what's the incentive? Now, a lot of people said before, hey, get vaccinated, and then your mask is going to disappear indoors and outdoors. And now if you're unvaccinated and you're skeptical, what are you thinking? I mean, how is that going to be the carrot rather than the stick? Yeah, and now uh, President Biden is offering $100 yeah. uh, per, per unvaccinated It's almost person. like the prodigal son who blew the money, came back, and what about all the people who are doing the right stuff, right? Exactly, all along. exactly. You know, we really are punishing the, the compliant. Uh, I, I think that we need to also consider the fact that uh, as long as the virus is prevalent in the community, the the virus will have an opportunity to continue to mutate. So there is a risk for the entire community right. when there are people unvaccinated uh, and are getting those the viruses are sneaky, aren't they? They are very, very out sneaky. Away. And and remember, when you're vaccinated, you you are not you don't have a force field that doesn't right. that prevents you from getting infected. Right. You do get infected. The problem is for the virus that your immune system attacks it before it can become widespread in your body and kill you. But you still have the virus. And this virus is grows 1,200 times more viral load for the Delta variant than from the uh, original variant. So, so you can transmit it to somebody that is unvaccinated. Right. Uh, the R-naught number, which is the number of people that are infected by one person, is five to eight. Mm. Uh, the original virus was only two to three. So just imagine how quickly this thing can deteriorate. Uh, so uh, then there's nature. always a political element. You were at the governor's uh, briefing on Tuesday, and that was right before the CDC came out. But I thought he struck, and look, he's going to have to follow the health department of the CDC. But he said, look, we're not going to pull the alarm unless there's a fire, and there's not a fire yet. But there's going to be a lot of pressure on him, isn't there, in the next month? There is. And Governor McKee has benefited in many respects from good timing in terms of the situation that he came into after taking office, now things might be a little bit on the other foot if the situation continues to grow more serious with that. But yeah, I mean, I think he's trying to walk a middle ground. He said he could not anticipate, at least this week, a situation where he would mandate mask wearing for state employees. He said he does not, you know, he did come out with the recommendation for students to mask up in going back to the classroom, and that was widely anticipated. But it's, it's a tough balance to walk for any any elected official. Well, he's a little bit pregnant. I mean, you know, you can't say on one side, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm going to follow the science. I'm going to follow what the CDC says. Well, the CDC says Rhode Island has substantial yeah. infection. You're supposed to be recommending mask indoors. He said that two hours before the CDC. Right. Then, <laughs> well, um, the other day I went to the Secretary of State's office to renew my notary, right. um, to become a notary. And I walked in, and the woman's like, where's your mask? And I said, well, I really don't need one. She said, you need one to come into this building. 
which I... When did that change? Had that always been? I don't know. This was on Tuesday I went in. And I was like, really? I said, well, I don't have any more. I kind of threw them all away. So she handed me a mask before I could proceed to get sworn in to be a notary. And I was like, wow. And that's what galls some people who last spring, look, they, they talked to President Biden. There was a question. Hey, you told us, and I know that science changes, yeah. but that's what's frustrating. I went to the, uh, I won't call them out. I went to a post office in Providence that I go to and then one in my own hometown. No masks at the one in Providence, but in, in mm -hmm. Barrington when I walked in, it said, and I walked in and I felt <laughs> like the leper. I was like, everybody's wearing a mask here. What's going on? And they had it on the door. So there's a little bit of unevenness too, don't you think? Right, and I also think the people that are not vaccinated by now, they're just not going to get the vaccine. What is going to get them So how do, how do we uh, I mean, short that? of having your father die unexpectedly and having it hit you Mandatory personally. Mandatory vaccines. No, Mandatory no, no, no. vaccines. Just like that. we have we have them now. We have a number of mandatory vaccines right now. HPV vaccine for school children, uh, diphtheria, uh, polio, tetanus. You know, there's a lot but of what, mandatory vaccines. What about vaccines. the argument not fully approved yet? Although it went through all the trials, would you put them in a different category? Uh, in terms of I, full approval, I wouldn't because the full approval is going to be, you know, received, you know, pretty soon. Uh, the only th reason we don't have a full approval is because the rules for approval are so onerous and so long. But we already have the experience of millions, hundreds of millions of doses what about being administered. What about mandatory? You know, I don't know. But the best, I mean, it seems to me a question of self-interest. The best way for people to protect themselves and their loved ones and their friends and family from getting a, a variety of bad outcomes is to get vaccinated. And that seems to me a pretty good reason to get the jab. Yeah, you want the final word on that? How do you do that? How do you, how do you, again, it goes back to how do you talk the unvaccinated into getting the vaccine? They don't trust it. 100%. They do not trust it yet. Yeah, I saw a national news piece last night. There were four people from the medical field in North Carolina. Did you see that piece on yes, NBC Nightly News? Yeah. And the poor reporter was trying to, and they were just like, no way, no how. And they're right in the front lines every day. In Texas, they were fired. You know, there were healthcare workers that did not get vaccinated. They were fired. Well, they're mandating it now here. That's yes. going to be, it wasn't before, but I believe mm -hmm. Rhode Island Hospital. So Yeah, and Care New England. Okay. Um, how do I even begin on this story with uh, Mayor Alorza and Governor McKee? It wasn't quite WWE. Uh, if you didn't see the video, I'm sure many of you have. Mayor Alorza, there's a Providence teacher's contract. By the time you watch this show, they will have voted on it. We assume it's going to go through. Uh, he confronted Mayor uh, uh, Governor McKee at Waterfire the other night. I don't even know where to begin. Where do you want to begin on this? Well, it's too, too bad we no longer have the Providence Newspaper Guild Follies because this yeah. would make for a great skit. But uh, clearly, I think there are two different things going yes. on here. One is the need to improve public schools in Providence and elsewhere in the state. This has been something that we've been talking about for decades. There was the Johns Hopkins report in 2019 that called for the uh, transformational in their words, contract as being necessary to move forward public education. What we know now from the PTU contract being considered by the union this week is that it's a marginal improvement. It's not transformational. There are some things to move the ball forward a little bit, and there are also some sweeteners for teachers. 
others to try and raise their morale and get them on board. At the same time, this obviously takes place in the context of the early stage of a gubernatorial race. Mayor Lors has made no secret of int his interest in running for governor. I think he. So that's the subtext here. That's the subtext. And he seems to be trying to catch fire and blow up his profile. I think it's blown up in a way a little bit other than what he intended with his confrontation with Governor McKee. And Governor McKee just kind of laughed when Mayor Lorza was came charging at him. And, uh, you know, this it's is almost like the bully holds the guy in the forehead and yeah, he's like, I he's mean, like this, this, right? This was not a good look for Mayor Lorza. But on the other hand, uh, yes, there is there was a need for transparency about the PTU contract proposal, arguably, before it go, went to the membership for a vote. Alorza does make a point in that I don't know that it could have been a transformational contract to get the teachers to the table short of imposing a, a contract. And I know that's got legal ramifications that we've talked about, but how are you going to get teachers to agree, oh, let's give up St. Laurie, let's give up that? And that's the reason the state came in, right? Absolutely. I, I mean, and I think that this is the main problem, you know, with the school system, that uh, we continually talk about teachers' contract. And we're not talking about student performance. Mm. Uh, we have some of the worst Latino child, uh, performance for Latino children in the country. Um, and it's as a result of not having enough time, not having enough uh, ability to hire uh, of teachers. Uh, and, you know, if this was a stunt by, um, by Elorza, uh, it really was a bad stunt. And if he was trying to get attention to his message of a contract, well, he completely... Who's advising him? I don't know, because no one's talking about the contract. Everyone's talking about his behavior. Mm -hmm. uh, and if he wants to be governor, he has to start behaving like a governor, uh, not like a bully. Well, first of all, I didn't realize he was that short when I saw him <laughs> <laughs> when I saw him going uh, towards Dan McKee. You'll see that during the, uh, the uh, debates. Yes. Of gubernatorial. Maybe he'll have a little box to stand on. Who knows? <laughs> but um, well, here's what I saw with that. I saw um, someone that behaved so badly uh, with the sitting governor, number one. Number two, this is what the mayor accused the Providence Police Department of doing, bad behavior. And these Providence police officers were reprimanded. Mm. Well, why doesn't the mayor get reprimanded for what he did? He should have never done that. If you agree with the governor or not. Isn't that a bit not, of a stretch, though? I mean, in terms not. of mm -mm. a suspect winding up on a stretcher and the mayor charging at the governor, uh, I don't, those are like apples and oranges. Well, you, just said, you just said it yourself. The mayor went charging at the governor. And you had security that held him back and pushed him away. Now, if security wasn't there, I mean, I'm not saying that the mayor would have would have fought with uh, the governor, McKee, but what he did was unacceptable. And he should, he, his behavior was badly, he ex extremely bad, and there's, there's going to be no repercussions for his behavior. Well, I mean, the voters maybe ultimately, but what, let's talk about him and where his base is going to be. He won the east side, mm -hmm. you know, going away, and I don't know if there's been some buyer's regret. There was a lot of crime years ago with all the break-ins. But in a path to governor, what is his path? I haven't seen, you know, any uh, polls, you know, indicating where he's at. Uh, and, I mean, I, I have to disclose that I am, you know, uh, Nelly Gorbea's best friend. So anything I say comes with uh, bias. Mm. Uh, but, uh, you know, his path is very narrow at this point. Uh, and this uh, incident 
just basically, I think, put a nail in the coffin uh, of his candidacy. What about for the Providence teachers? Okay, so now let's get the contract under the way. We lost a year to COVID. The Johns Hopkins report was two years ago. And you just feel for the kids that it's a generation. So it's an incremental change, but do you think it's a decent building block to go forward now? What do they have to do? We do have to hope that this is a building block. I think, uh, you know, it was probably not lost on Governor McKee that the uh, uh, American Federation of Teachers is an important interest group as far as the Democratic primary next year. So they probably have a bit of appreciation for Governor McKee considering the sweeteners in this contract. And, you know, Governor McKee could potentially be in office for a long time if he wins re-election next year. He could potentially seek re-election for another term after that. He does have a demonstrated commitment in his previous role as mayor of Cumberland to trying to improve public education through the mayoral academies. Which really irked the unions. Right. So now he needs... To soften that a little That's bit. right. That's right. So, but I think he has shown a real interest in this issue. So we could hope that this will be a building block going forward. But as we've seen from decades of history, nothing is easy when it comes to improving public education in Rhode Island. And there's a lot more talk than action. But, the, but it is easy. It is easy. Okay. I mean, we need to increase more time for students in school. We need to have more accountability for teachers to get rid of the bad ones and to reward the good ones. Uh, charter schools are doing it. You know, you have, you know, mayoral academies that have incredible performance right now. So why don't we look at what they're doing and say, okay, let's adopt some of the things that the charter schools are doing in order to improve the public education. And this is what it's come down to. One of the, not major, but one of the the notable pieces was to try to cut down on chronic sick days. And they're going to look at Teachers who particularly take Monday and Friday. That has to be a negotiated thing. Think of that, to bring in. I mean, is that where we are? And did you read the point that says, oh, and eventually they will need to bring a doctor's, a doctor's note. doctor's note. I'm like, wait a second. If, <laughs> if you try to, to, to take Fridays or Mondays off at your job, what would happen? I work for a doctor, so he would know. <laughs> yeah, he'd get his own note. But, you know, the other thing, just to wrap this up and then we'll move on, you sat in that legislature for years. Providence gets a lot of all of our tax dollars, right? So we have to be invested in that. What they, the old saying, so goes Providence, so goes the state. Um, I'm happy that the teachers are going to ratify the contract this afternoon. Let's move on. Let's talk about other things that we're going to need money for, like the pension. What are we, 1.2? million in the hole expected billion. is it 1.2 million billion billion, billion. I'm billion. sorry billion and we're expected over 200 million what in 20 30 40 years so we need to figure out where that money is going to come from because what's going to happen is the taxpayers through the entire state of Rhode Island are going to have to come up with some more money we'll get to that momentarily because I know you had a story on that Doreen let me stay with you um I know you've been doing a little moonlighting yeah. uh, waitressing, and it's still not easy out there. Talk, talk about that. Well, it is pretty bad right now. Um, a friend of mine owns a restaurant down in East Greenwich on Post Road, and he needed some help a few nights a week. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll break out my bartending skills and waitress skills and go back. And so my two to three nights a week turned into four or five nights a week, turned into a double on Saturday and a double last Sunday because we cannot get anybody to work. And you feel for him. And I feel for him and I feel for all the businesses that are struggling right now. I'm living it every single day. Every day I'm there and I'm trying to do the best I can. Um, When you have one person on like me bartending and being the server and you have 15 tables looking at you when you're going to come over and then you got five people sitting at the bar wondering where their martini is. Um, It's pretty tough out there. So 
it's a great gig a couple of nights a week if anybody's interested. There's a lot of money to be made out there. People are very generous for the most part. They're very, very patient. Um, just do it. I mean, it's time to go back to work. Yeah, I mean, this is a real issue. Um, I, some people might say that servers and bartenders and waiters and waitresses have been underpaid for a long time, and this reflects the reluctance of some of these people to go back to work, reflects a desire for better wages, better conditions. Well, don't forget, servers only get $3.89. It's a tip, yeah, it's a, it's a tip wage. $3.89 hey, an hour. Hey, but you wonder, so. so look, I understand it's not been just the unemployment, but that has fueled it. There have been some concerns with child care and people going, being, you know, immunocompromised and all that. But you've got to figure come September, the, the calculus is going to change, right? Everything is going to change. As, as soon as the schools are open, you're going to remove a real impediment for many of the women, which a lot of them are. And the women. unemployment is going to. And the end. unemployment is going to go away. So I, I think this will this will be uh, resolved at that at that point. But we also cannot forget that these people deserve more money, <laughs> that deserve a living wage. You know, you can't you can't feed a family. You know, uh, you know, as a, as a waitress, you know, making three dollars and eighty nine. Dollars and eighty-nine cents. Unless you're getting really hour. good tips, right? Unless you're getting That's really right. good tips. So, and, the fi and final thing is that it's just sad because I've seen notices. We see probably one a week. This restaurant just is, is either pausing or going out of business because they just can't make it. Well, if we can't get any more people to work in the in this particular industry, then you're going to see a lot more restaurants closing. And especially if the mask mandate comes back, I work outside on a patio ninety percent of the time in this heat. I can't see myself wearing a mask, serving customers in 90-degree heat, wearing a mask. And you're going in and outdoors, exactly, right? Exactly, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, I do want to get to your pension fund uh, first. Let's uh, do outrages and or kudos. Doreen, what do you have this week? Well, my outrage of the week is uh, Mayor Laza, again, going after you're Governor You're getting a McCain. twofer here, right? I'm getting a twofer. Unacceptable. Um, he should be reprimanded by who? I don't know. Um, and the Providence Police Office that were reprimanded for pretty much... Like he said, being a bully, well, Mayor Lawson, you were the biggest bully I've seen all week. All right. Ian, what do you have? Capitol Police officers testified this week about the events of January 6th. That was difficult to watch. Uh, you know, I think police who do their job well deserve our respect and support. And they are asking for a real inquiry into how this unfolded. And uh, just that remains a really uh, troubling episode in American history. Yeah. This one has videotape, yeah. so. The Office of Diversity uh, and Equity released a, a report uh, um, last week about uh, minority uh, companies uh, and women-owned companies receiving only 7.8% of the state's contracts uh, in terms of money when the law requires it to be 10%. And they've never gotten near, have they? It, they have in the past. In some years, 13%. But it's beginning to wane It's off. beginning to wane off because there was a waiver uh, for, for the law during the pandemic, uh, and Senator Sandra Cano is, is, is putting a, a bill to eliminate those waivers. Who's be, responsible for looking uh, over it's that? It's the office, the, the Department of Administration, uh, you know, who manages all the contracts. They have to be serious about this. This has to be an imperative uh, by, by government to really, uh, you know, support these businesses. Uh, Mayor Lorza gets a twofer this week because uh, not only he's walking and chewing cum and apparently trying to, to 
confront the governor all at the same time. What got lost, and you had a great story on mm. the pension obligations, which, so there's incremental, every year he says, hey, we, we sprung a little surplus. Meanwhile, you got this $1.2 billion plus all the retiree benefits. He's formed a commission to look at that. And I thought you elaborate on your article because there was some interesting comments. Thank you, Jim. And yeah, this is a big problem because these costs in Providence go up about 5% each year. That means there's less and less money for other worthwhile expenses in the city budget. You know, Alorza wanted to monetize the city's water supply. He's proposed using controversial pension obligation bonds. Neither of those proposals won legislative support. And this is going to be an issue after he is no longer mayor. But, uh, you know, this has defied uh, solutions. It's a problem that began in the 1980s when big cost of living adjustments were handed out to city employees and retirees. And the messaging from City Council President Johnny Gliosi, Lori White from the Providence Chamber, Michael DBAs from the Public Expenditure Council, were all that this is a statewide issue. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to realize that they're saying that they think statewide taxpayers need to be part of the solution. I did speak with Speaker Shikarchi about this this week. He said he has no appetite for involving the state or its taxpayers in helping to bail out Providence's pension fund. But this is going to remain a problem uh, without a solution, without some kind of uh, step forward. How's that going to go over in Providence? Uh, I well, mean, oh, Pro I'm not in Providence with the, the rest of the state. With the state. You know, this is very simple. You either raise more money or you spend less or you go bankrupt. Those are the three options. And just one other thing. Okay. There, uh, there, there are court precedents that basically make it close to impossible to get more concessions from unionized employees. So that's another complication. Because those contracts were signed for better or for worse all those years ago. Right. What about, that's going to be a tough sell. I don't know how they're going to find, I, I really don't know how they're going to swim out of this one. Your article was fantastic. I read it this morning over coffee. Fantastic. Um, I, I don't know how they're going to do it without going after the rest of the state. You, you know, the other question is, he, he's six years into his term. All of a sudden he has, a, and I applaud the mayor for putting this together. Where was he in the first and second and third year doing this? He right? wasn't running for governor then. Well. So. <laughs> That is true. Uh, the last issue in Providence we're getting a three for now is this uh, body-worn camera footage, uh, which is now becoming – there's uh, federal money involved to be able to do it. Uh, there's this balance of when do you keep it, when do you keep it, when do you release it. The issue I had was there was the issue that uh, you both had alluded to uh, with this appalling video. For the commissioner in an incident where they pulled over three teenagers after a high-speed chase, my issue is they say it's appalling and then, oh, but we can't show you the video. Just clam up, right? Uh, it, it, it makes absolutely no sense. If, you're, if, you, if your argument is we're not going to release it because we don't want to prejudge, we don't want you know, to contaminate, the jury, but you are qualifying it, you're doing it worse. I mean, I would rather see it than to hear your commentary. You know, it. the commentary about, oh, it's appalling, this was horrible. You know, this is a poor excuse. And other communities are very quick at releasing these videos and create much less animosity among the public. And Providence has been quicker to release body cam video when it portrays police in a more favorable light. Is there a good argument, though, that they are in the middle of a police investigation and then it could, I mean, I don't know that I totally buy it could taint the jury pool, but that's their argument, right, if this you gets know, out? every situation is different, but in theory, at least, it, you would like to think that government bodies have some kind of consistency in their approach on this, whether it 
reflects positively or negatively, quote unquote, on police. I wonder if in the Sergeant Hanley case, because you remember that got leaked, and then whether that's going to be part of his appeal. He's going up to Superior Court. Oh, everybody saw the video before. I don't know. Although that was a judge trial, right? That I don't believe that was. Was that a jury trial or not? I don't, I don't remember. I don't remember. I'm, I'm asking a, a question that I don't know the answer to, like <laughs> no, no, a uh, no, bad I think lawyer. It was a judge trial. Well, what about the release and all of that? I think they should just release them. Yeah. Honestly, just release them. As long as there's not, you know, someone on the ground or a shot or something like that, just release them. Everybody's going to be happy about it. You're not going to have the riots in the street. You're not going to have, you know, um, press conferences. This one's blaming this one. This one's blaming this one. I want to see the evidence. Just release them. You create a bigger issue by not, by not releasing, releasing them. You create a bigger tainting of the pool. Because they're like, what's really on there? Right? What's going on? How come they don't want to release it? Yeah. I mean, it, it makes no sense. And like I said, other communities have released much more difficult videos than, than the ones that, mm -hmm. that they're holding yeah. here. Well, and Rhode Island's one of the few states now, well, I've fought this for years, uh, that 911 calls are not immediately available. Unless the person who made the call agrees. Good luck with that, right? <laughs> or that it's court-ordered. So, I mean, the news is the news. And that's been tough because a lot of other states, you hear that 911 call right, right away. Right. Yeah, absolutely. My colleague Lynn Ardidia has done some good reporting on Rhode Island's 911 system and some of the short, uh, shortfalls in training for the operators. And mm. there have been some changes as a result of that. But you're right. I mean, that uh, audio can be in the public interest. Absolutely. Okay, folks, that is all the time we have for this week. It always goes by quickly. Ian and Doreen and Pablo, thank you so much. Folks, if you don't catch us Fridays at 7 or Sunday at noon, we are all over social media. You can catch us on Facebook and Twitter and your favorite podcast, wherever you get it, take us along with you if you don't happen to catch us over the weekend. We know you're busy in the summer. I told you last week we were going to have details on the Providence teachers contract. We will have more details next week, and you never know what's going to happen with Mayor Aloysa. Who knows whether he's going to pop off in the next week, but we'll have it covered on Lively Experiment. We hope you have a great week. Join us back here next week as the Lively Experiment continues. Experiment is generously underwritten by. For more than 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazen White Jr., and I'm proud to support this great program in Rhode Island PBS.